evening, lads and lasses, and welcome back to the Soccer Talk Wads podcast. Tonight, we'll talk about St. Louis City SC becoming the most successful expansion team in Major League Soccer history in its first season, and so much more that we've missed since we've been away. It's a lot to cover, and we can't wait to talk about soccer again, so let's kick off. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Soccer Talk Lads podcast. It's been too long, but we're not even going to talk about that because the future is now. And the future for St. Louis City SC is very bright. In fact, uh, it's the MLS playoffs. It's the first seed in the MLS playoffs. And, um, you know, beyond that, who knows? Who knows what the next season holds? But there's a lot of this season left to play. And we're very excited to talk about it. My name is Stephen Ground. I'm joined by credentialed St. Louis City SC reporter, Justin Horniker, who I'm sure loves being called that, uh, you know, as his yeah, like, it's great. job title. Just uh, draw all attention away from the fact that we have been recording podcasts this whole time, actually. Uh, and what you yeah. see on your feed is just an illusion. So let's just power on through that's, all of this. That's right. Um, I uh, We don't really have an excuse, and I'm not going to make one. But we are going <laughs> to try... To be better. That's really all I can say. But Justin, um, you've been near the team, close to the team in have, the locker room, I talking have, to these people, reporting on the team. Talking um, to these people. Tell us about how this season has been. Obviously, there's the initial ex- excitement, and we you, you know we were doing podcasts more frequently back then. Um, and you know, the the hype of the team right out of the gate is very strong. They obviously have one of the best starts in MLS expansion history as well, but then they go through kind of the dog days of summer and they have some international breaks and it seems like they just never really lost momentum. What's it like being, what has it been like being close to the team and kind of being right there in the mix um, as this historic season has unfolded? You have the momentum of a runaway freight train. How do you do it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's been a good season right like I think a good bow to put on this Stephen is that we haven't talked since Jao Klaus came back from injury full-time 100% Mm -hmm. and I think that's a big story because they were able to kind of like tread water learn how to play without Klaus which was kind of like their issue at the start of the season to the point where Sam like Bradley Carnell is trying to find ways to fit Adeniran, Klaus, and Jokini in the lineup at the same time because we had three strikers that are competent, are good, are play drivers. And I think that's when you look at the story of this season, not just are you hitting on your designated players. Eddie Leuven's been fantastic. Chow Klaus has been fantastic. Roman Berkey, MVP candidate, in, in my personal professional opinion. And then you look at the do you, players. Do who... you get a vote on that, Justin? I feel like you should. I do have a vote in the MLS.com award at this that. year. Look I do at have that. Vote. So Our I very will own Justin Horniker. Bribes. Uh <laughs> Mama, Mama Horniker's son done right, done proud. Look at that. That's good exciting. Stuff. And then uh, outside of that excitement, Stephen. Uh outside of the MVP race. And then you look at the players who 
maybe weren't expected to hit that are also hitting like your AZ Jackson's of the world, your Indiana Vasilev's of the world. Indiana Vasilev just got called in the U23 team. And it's just like finding all these pieces. Yeah. Uh, don't don't look ahead to the that's more of a foreshadow i think Stephen, when we okay, talk about yeah, the roster okay. uh sure. a tease <laughs> if you will a teaser yes and yeah i think if we look at our like beginning of the season expectations it's easy to point out like oh everyone is so wrong about this team but like honestly if you look at how these players have performed in the past i don't think there's ever any expectation that Carnell would have them playing this well and this together. And it really is a roster of like 18 players all playing together, which is the, the thing that makes them like a special team compared to other teams in the league. I, I feel like sitting so far back in my chair, my head looked like it was just kind of floating in space. So I had to lean forward, but there's a couple of dovetails that I want to pick your brain on from what yes. you just said. And uh, I don't have a good way to let's prioritize them. So I'll just pick one and then come back to the other one. But what do you think is most responsible for the team's success? That there is one thing. Do you think it's roster construction? Do you think it's the players? Do you think it's the for the style and the coaching of Bradley Carnell and his team? Is it the atmosphere and hype of St. Louis City? I mean, obviously, it's a combination of all those things. That's yes. probably the cop out answer that you want to take. But if you had to point to one <laughs> thing as like most <laughs> important, do you have one that kind of is a clubhouse leader in that race, or is it really just? Kind I mean, of most important. Mix? If you if you look at the stats of it, like Roman Berkey over everything like he's uh he's the reason that they are in the position and are an above average team uh so like if you are ranking by what's most impactful but outside of that like just having a vision i think is the important thing like we talked about it i'm sure we talked about it before the season at some point in this podcast about how like all good MLS teams have to have a vision of what they're trying to build, what they're trying to accomplish. And like, whether that's through Bradley Carnell or through Lutz and the roster construction, I don't know like where to draw the line there necessarily. Mm -hmm. But like just having that identity, I think has been important. Yeah. I mean, Roman Berkey is obviously a star and I think certainly deserves a conversation. Yeah. MLS uh, MVP conversation. Best goalkeeper of all time conversation, better than Oliver Kahn conversation, mm, right, if you will. Right. Manuel Neuer should, you know, be licking the soles of his shoes to even. Get he should be lucky that he's not in the Bundesliga anymore. Yeah, so that's right. That's what he should be thanking his lucky stars. Um, also, just devastatingly handsome as well, and a deep thinker. I mean, he's really the total package. The total package. Um, and downtown you know, bus lover, all of it. It's all right. Oh, okay. I'm going to let that one slide because we've right got there. a lot to cover today. But, um, oh, you know, and, and sometimes it feels like it can be like, oh, this team's been saved by their goalkeeper a lot. But to to your point, like that was part of the plan, not necessarily hmm. that he'd have to bail out the team, but like obviously they went and got Roman Berkey to be a huge part of this team and made him the captain. And so like you can say, oh, they've relied on their goalkeeper a lot. Their goalkeeper is making them look better than they are. But they, I mean, their highest profile player coming into the season was hmm. their goalkeeper for a reason. So, like, yeah. I mean, you, I don't know, you know, it's just kind of like a self-defeating argument. But um, the other the other dovetail I wanted to take for a minute. Let's, let's tail it. 
Dovetail to talk a little bit more about some of those players that really haven't um haven't or didn't enter the season at least with the uh hype of say the designated players Roman Berkey etc because I do think there have been some players that have done really really exceptional things for this team that didn't you know come into the season with a lot of that hype uh one of them to me I think that's been just a, a hugely important part of the team is big Sam um, obviously eight goals, you know, behind only Klaus and Giacchini for that, uh, in that category. And, you know, really, really an interesting story for his season, getting, getting signed, then getting loaned back to his, um, lower league team. What's that? What league is that actually? I don't want to say that USL, one. USL, USL championship. That's what I wanted to say, but Antonio I FC, you got like it. Um, and then being called back in kind of emergency conditions, and he just stepped right into that role. Uh, I believe had two two goals his first night, if memory serves correctly, mm-hmm. um, and has just been a key player ever since. So why don't you talk a little bit about him and his impact first before I name a couple of other players that I think deserve some recognition? Like that's his story is probably it's like him and eh, I would say him Az and like. Well, Marcanic also as someone who like came out of complete left field to be a key contributor to this team. But like Adenaran, especially just with his goal scoring, with how he boosted the team up through Zhao Klaus's injury, and then Zhao Klaus comes back and he's still just as effective in like more, in a different kind of role than he was playing before Zhao Klaus came back. So it's that confidence that he gained from going back to San Antonio, like kind of being in that mix again, finding the scoring touch, and then remembering that you can come, you know, into Major League Soccer and do the same thing. Because I think if you look at what he did in San Antonio last year on loan from Seattle, you would think, okay, this guy has something in him to take that next step at the next level to be a key contributor for like a pretty good team. Seattle obviously didn't see it in him. They let him leave. He comes to St. Louis, same thing where he can't get off the ground goes down to San Antonio and shows you again that he has the scoring touch. He has those skills in close that he wasn't showing earlier in the season. And then he comes back with that confidence and something reminded him that, you know, the level shouldn't be high enough between USL and MLS for him to come in and not be effective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a good summary. And I think, I think he deserves a lot of credit for, being willing to take on the role of kind of the class fill-in when he had to and being immediately effective in that role and then stepping down, you know, when class comes back and playing a different role and, and still being good and being effective in his time there as well. Um, Another person who I don't think uh, gets the credit he deserves and probably doesn't get the spotlight he deserves um, he's actually third on the team in expected goals in all competitions this season, tied with a dinner and behind Klaus and uh, Joachini. Um, and he's clear for third uh, because the dinner and had a penalty shot um, goal uh, in non penalty expected goals per game or over the season. How do you like me quoting that statistic at you, Justin? That's good. Um, it is uh, the Chesterboro, New Jersey native, 
uh, alumnus of the Del Barton School and Colgate what University. What is happening? What is going on here? <laughs> who only had one goal in 47 MLS appearances entering this season. Jared Stroud, I think, has done a lot for this team as well and has been an important contributor when he's been on the field. What do you think about him and the role that he's played for the team? Yeah, I kind of love him and Maslow together. It's like these guys who, and like, it's weird because Indiana seems not like a 22-year-old, even though he's a 22-year-old. I was going to say these like Mm -hmm. veterans coming in, but Indy is definitely not that, even though it feels like that sometimes. But like Jared Schaub, especially being that guy, kind of like Tim Parker, where it's like MLS experience has done it elsewhere for some reason, like just was on the outs of their you know, latest club situation. And like, if you look at Jared Strouds, not last year, but the year before, like he was a decent contributor there. So now it's like, you just give him the opportunity with the minutes. And I think he's a very versatile player too, which is important for this team. And that I think is what you see with the goals and assist numbers, but also just kind of where he's used, whether it's further out the pitch or further back or like in these situations where Carnell just needs someone to be tenacious on the ball and hounding the ball. And like, I think that the trust that the coaching staff has in him is just as important as the scoring aspects, but obviously that little scoring touch is a nice surprise too. Yeah. I think like, so I just to tag on there, Steven, like I think if he would have came in and been like a suitable professional player, like you can put out and know they aren't going to make mistakes. I think that would have been like my expectations for him coming into the season. I don't remember Mm -hmm. what we said at the time, but uh, so to have him be like actually a scoring contributor and being a key part of that attack sometime, I think has been a big surprise. Yeah. And uh, a couple of other guys that I want to talk about. Let me ask you this question, Justin. Ask away. Do you, do you know who has played the most 90 minute games for this team behind Roman Berkey? Not looking behind Roman Berkey. Edward Lee. He is actually third. Because he's behind the one and only ginger giant, Tim Parker. Uh, I was going to say Tim Parker, Um, but he had that suspension earlier this year. And we came into the season thinking, you know, this team has some talent offensively, has a great goalkeeping, but the defense is really suspect. And and we've thought that, I will say, at times throughout the season. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say it's been uh, an invincible unit, but the three of the, three of the four leaders of outfield players in, uh, time you know in 90 minute games played are parker and nervinsky and kyle hebert uh, who have formed a pretty reliable defensive core talk a little bit about those guys on defense and what you think of them as well throwing a lot at me yeah Uh, you're the the expert i'm just i'm just the voice of the like as bane would say that's the thing about the team is i think there are like so many competent center backs where Mm -hmm that was maybe a question mark before the season started and to like have Joachim Nielsen be out for as long as he was this season. And now that he's back, you know, that the quality that he has and that like, clearly he's like one of the better defenders in the league. So to be able to miss that guy for so long, not miss a beat because of your Kyle Hebert's, your Josh Yaros, your Lucas Bartlett. That's a guy, Steven also, mm-hmm. uh, Tim Parker, of course, Tim Parker also, Stephen, 
14th highest selling jersey in MLS, Tim Parker, the center back. Uh, the wow. only defender on the top 20 list. What kind of royalties <laughs> is he pulling him from that? I don't know, but it's like the most St. Louis thing ever is to like just buy the jersey of this defender for some reason. St. Louis, <laughs> St. Louis loves a strong jawline, you know, it's the Mike A hard head, I think, oh, that yeah. also plays into it for sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, like Tim Parker. First off, to be the threat that he's been in set pieces this year to have the goals that he's had. Uh, that's been big. That's been important. But then just to have his leadership, I think that's been something that's been talked about. Like when everyone's healthy to have Roman Berkey, Tim Parker, and Joachim Dilson as that like back triangle, I think is under underappreciated for how good and like experienced it really is. And, like yeah. Tim Parker. I think maybe we're looking at his contract at the end of it and questioning things, but it's been a picture perfect start. Absolutely. Last uh, roster personnel question I have for you. Let's talk about two players that when we last recorded, even though it was only a few days ago, of course, Absolutely. Uh, check those speeds, folks. We had not gotten right to there. talk about much yet because they had not played for this team yet. Uh, the late arrival and I'm going to butcher his name, but Noki Thorson, Thorson, excuse me, uh, from okay, beautiful it's, it's Iceland. N- huh? It's Nukvi. It's Nukvi. So like yeah. a, like a, ooh, like a, like uh-huh. a. I warned everyone that I would butcher <laughs> it. I don't know what you expect from me. Is it Thorson or is that something else? Uh, it is Thorson, yes. Thorson yes. probably or something. But in it's any case. Thorson, uh, according to the great Tom Timmerman. Nukvi, is that correct? That is correct, yes. And uh, I Nelson, who you alluded to a yes. minute ago. Uh, what have you seen from those two players in their committed time in this later stretch of the season that they've been healthy and or here as part of the team? Yeah, I'll start with Thorson because I think he's a little more of a question mark. But uh-huh. from what we've seen of him, like obviously we haven't seen a ton of him so far in, in the short stints. Like he's a rangy player who has a high work rate, maybe a little bit soft on the ball still, uh, but like he should be a skilled, like tall winger. That's something that this team doesn't have either is like the height that he has on the wings. Um, mm-hmm. have a lot of like shorter wingers. So I think that's a little bit different of a look that he offers. I think mm-hmm. compared to the usual suspects in those positions, like I'm, I'm not told, I think he's still a work in project, uh, work in progress project and like there's there's a lot of room for improvement there but for how much you paid for him like he's such a young player like obviously has talent on the ball like i think that's a good signing and it'll pay off next year and down the line uh joachim nielsen may be the most important player on this team i think uh beyond just like his ability as a defender but also listen to anyone on this team ever talk about his leadership skills I talked to Bobby Murphy for a St. Louis magazine piece. And in that he talked about how Joachim Dilson has like kind of just indoctrinated himself with all the young players too. And is trying to like give everyone advice when he was playing with city Two, he would sought out city Two training gear for that week of practice so that he could be part of the team and not someone who like is above it, which I think it says a lot about who he is as someone who has been, an international player uh so like i i don't think you can say enough good things about joe Nilsson and the impact he's had 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have loved him in small doses so far and really look forward to seeing more of him, hopefully, as he stays healthy. He's made um, some big time, like things you don't see other center backs in this league do in terms of like interceptions and interruptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, a player with a, a good pedigree and a lot of history and Sweden's top wing league and in the Bundesliga. So, you know, you'd expect, you'd expect some high quality play from him and we've gotten it. So, um, that's, uh, that's all I have questions about the roster and the players that we've watched. Do you have anything sweating you- over here? <laughs> no, I have nothing, Steven. Um, yeah, I just think it's been a fun season, like beyond what any of us ever expected out of this team. Like, I think I always thought, like, if this team was within sniffing distance of the playoffs, it would be a successful year. And here they are, like, being an actual dominant team for most of the season. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, very excited to have um, this playoff coming up. And and obviously we've got the international break and then the final regular season game against Seattle on October 21st. If we get a point in that, we will have the most points uh, in MLS history for an expansion team in their first season, currently tied with LAFC. We have the most wins for a first-year team in MLS expansion history with 17. Um, that's a record we hold all by ourselves. We've clinched the top seed in the Western Conference of Major League Soccer, um, and we are set to face probably one of Portland, San Jose, or Dallas, and theoretically, potentially Minnesota or Sporting Kansas City, which you know would probably be the most fun to have that rivalry matchup um, in the first round uh, down the road here in about a month. Not in about a month, but in a few weeks. Um who do you think we match up best against or and or worst against of that group of players? It does make me a little bit nervous. Like I feel like Dallas and Portland is just like kicking a horn's nest because you just don't know what you're going to get with either of those teams. Both feel like they should be much better than they are. Like Dallas, especially if you watch both those games this year, that's not a team that St. Louis matches up well with at all. So if you're like hoping for okay this is the team I want them to play because then they'll go longer in the playoffs, which means they'll get more freelance writing opportunities. Then I would maybe say like, maybe you want San Jose in that case. San Jose feels like the easiest matchup to me with someone with totally nothing on the line here. Fair enough. Um, Probably wants a trip to San Jose down the road in in November, October, but wouldn't be the case because we'd host them. Oh wait, in the first round. Yeah. But we, there you go. I'm all in my head. Figure it out. There you go. <laughs> First round playoffs, as everyone knows, is a home away and potential home. And then everything else is single elimination because that makes sense. Of course. Um, anything else you'd like to say about City before we move on to other topics? Uh, no, I, I think I think we're good. We're good. Sitting in first right. place. They got two weeks off. They're Very going nice. to have a scrimmage well this week. Uh, against themselves, I was told. So it's going to be City against City 2 and the Academy Kids to, nice. to stay sharp in that time. That, sh- that should be fun. Uh, speaking of players who are trying to stay sharp and training right now, the 
USA under 23 what a, what a segue, this guy Olympic roster thank you uh is out and our very own Indiana Vassal have made that roster uh let's quickly go through the players on the roster some of them will be very familiar names some of them will be how do they I thought this was a U23 why they let a 28 year old on the roster this doesn't make any sense to me that's right uh, because Justin is I should have went older. It would have been funnier if I went like thirty-five. Yeah, thirty-five. Right. Yeah, we'll right. work on. We'll work on that. We can we can run it back and just. Pretend why is they? Why happened. are they letting us twenty-four-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yes, uh, let's talk through this roster. Some names will be familiar. Some will not. Yes. Um, but we can talk about it, and you can highlight any players you're excited about, Justin. As I, I feel like these goalkeepers are very St. Louis centric in form in terms of like what people should be aware of they are uh christopher brady of chicago fire and naperville illinois john pulse camp of sporting kc bakersfield california native and patrick schulte who is a uh, columbus crew player and a saint charles missouri native schulte Pops on the group of gold st louis I university's own patrick schulte i i and i knew you'd of... call me on it too you couldn't just let it go it's yeah. interesting that pools camp got called up. I think I don't like. I think that our goalkeeper pool. It's interesting. I think a lot of people see things in pools camp that haven't necessarily been there yet. And like I know a lot of that is development, and you want to bring players into these camps, especially a camp like this, where like at any moment Christopher Brady could be off to Europe and not available. Petrolty too, and pools camp too for that end, but. I think that there are maybe better goalkeepers out there to pick from, but I think this is a good goalkeeper group for the U.S. Like Christopher Brady, the second best goalkeeper in MLS this year behind Roland Berkey, of course. Uh, Patrick Schulte has also been putting up some really good numbers. So, like, it's a it's a very good goalkeeping group. Yeah, awesome. Uh, moving on to the defenders, we've got Maximilian Dietz. Uh, who is playing in Germany right now um, and is originally from Frankfurt, but has the U.S. ties and is now on the U23 roster. Uh, Nathan Harriel of the Philadelphia Union from Oldsmar, Florida. No idea where that is before you ask. How close is that? Um, How close? I, don't, I don't have any <laughs> idea. Brian Reynolds from Westerloo in the Belgian League, but also originally from Fort Worth, Texas. John Tolkien, of course, the... Uh, wild-haired defender for New York Red Bulls and from Chatham, New Jersey. Jonathan Tompkinson, which sounds like you just put John Tolkien's name in a blender and made it longer. Uh, he's playing at Bradford City over in England. He's from Plano, Texas originally. And we've got Caleb Wiley, the Atlanta native, who plays for Atlanta. Thoughts on mm -hmm. the defensive group? Yeah, I think it's a... I'm actually very excited about this roster. Like There are a lot of players who I think are going to be either fun to watch in this tournament because they're exciting players or fun to watch because you haven't seen a lot of them. Like I haven't seen much of Bradford city games. I know that might be surprising to a lot. You haven't of you. watched a ton of Bradford <laughs> city games. That's wild. Uh, Brian Reynolds. It'll be, it'll be fun to see him again. I always love Brian Reynolds. Um, Max Dietz is also another interesting name. Of course, another Bundesliga kid. Like you always love seeing what those guys are up to. And Caleb Wiley, I think I, don't know if he's better as a left back or left winger, but I think he's a very versatile wide player and I'm excited to see him play. Yeah. 
I, I there are no kids that I'm not excited about. Let's let's say that. Let me get that out of the way. Well, I'm gonna <laughs> clip that and use that and very very. Too late. There are no <laughs> kids that Justin's not excited about. Noted. Um, all right, moving on to the midfield. We've got Paxton Aronson, who plays for Eintracht Just like Frankfurt. <laughs> Safe to assume he's the younger brother of Brendan Aronson. Is that the case? Yes. The, yes, Stephen. A real, a real USC national team aficionado you are exactly he's from medford new jersey as is i assume his older brother gianluca busio who has been discussed uh on this podcast in the past formerly of sporting kc now he's with venezia in italy venice for those who don't speak hmm? uh sauce. <laughs> i don't know why i said ragu sauce that was like supposed to be a joke and it just ended up being that's real like racist. yeah that's like uh, old racism greensboro north carolina native benjamin kramoshki probably butchered that inter miami and key biscayne florida i know where that is and that's not close um, I don't know. There was enough land in Key Biscayne to play soccer, to be honest with you. We've got Jack McGlynn of the Philadelphia Union, Aiden Morris of the Columbus Crew. They're from Queens and Fort Lauderdale, respectively. Tanner Tessman, who also is with Busio in Venice uh, and a Birmingham, Alabama native, native. And then Obed Vargas of the Seattle Sounders slash Anchorage, Alaska. The only them. player from Alaska is the U.S. soccer Printout would have you believe. Yeah, the only <laughs> one. Uh, what are your thoughts on the midfield here? So, like, this is interesting because Tanner Testman has almost taken over Busio's job. They kind of play different positions now, but Tanner Testman is playing center midfield for Valencia in the position that Busio was playing in before he got hurt last season. And Busio has kind mm-hmm. of had to like work his way back into the lineup, which I think makes him a better player, obviously, having to go through those stripes, but being in Serie B, Serie Ba. It's like you don't necessarily know what to make of those performances. But Tanner Tessman like has been Fidencio's best player for a good majority of the past like year, probably the past year. And then Obed Vargas kind of thought to be like the next great midfielder in this group. So very interested to see what he looks like at this age group too, because he's playing up because uh, he is 18, I believe. So seeing him, yeah, 18, so seeing him up in the U23s, I think is interesting. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see, you know, Busio had a lot of hype and it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of regain that or if he maybe has fallen off a little bit, but it's still a good group of young players, as is this group of forwards, which starts with Esmir Baraktarevich. I'm just going to pretend with a lot of confidence that I said that right. Um he is a new New England Revolution player from Appleton, Wisconsin. How close was I for real, Justin? I think you're pretty close. I'm trying to like think, sound it through. I yeah. uh, I assume with any Russian sounding name that uh, you emphasize the second syllable and just say everything else softer. So that's why I went with Barak Tarevich. But you know, who yeah. Knows. Yeah, yeah, I think you're good. Taylor Booth, uh, who's playing <laughs> in the Netherlands and is from Eden, Utah. Johan Gomez of Eintracht Braunschweig, famous home of Braunschweiger sausage. Uh, really? Cal- <laughs> yeah, that's where it came from. Wow. Keller- Texas native. Learn something new every day, huh? 
Um, Brian Gutierrez, Chicago native who plays for Chicago. I Bernard... hate how much I enjoy Brian Gutierrez. It really does hurt me as a St. Louis. <laughs> well, just uh, he'll move on eventually. Bernard uh, Camungo of FC Dallas and Abilene, Texas. Duncan McGuire of Orlando City SC and Omaha native. And of course, our very own Indiana Vasilev, a St. Louis City SC uh superstar in a savannah yeah, georgia native which is very close to jacksonville so there you go thoughts on the forward core here justin Are i think it's excited? i believe you said there's not I a have... single kid that you're not excited about so that is, that is <laughs> verbatim what i said yes yeah. uh i think it's interesting that indiana Vasilov is listed as a forward here i don't know like if i assume that it'll be the same 433 that then national team runs that's usually what has been the case so like i guess the plan would be to play vaslov out on the wing which is something you can do for sure um i don't think he's best there but it'll be interesting it's good to see him get the call up though like i think that's the encouraging thing is that it seemed like he had kind of been on the outs with just like the national team in general so seeing him still be in the conversation is good for indy yeah, especially I mean, as a 38 year old. Yeah, I mean, he is. We're getting old. Did, did it work better that time? That Yeah, it was better. It yeah. was good. It was solid. It was a good callback. The people deserve a callback. Should I go? Would it be funnier if I said like 55? Uh, no, I think 30. Uh, I mean, at some point okay. you've reached, you know, the point of the absurd. So I don't right, want you to right. go over that quest, obviously. Okay. Um, folks, let us know in the comments what, what you think the best uh, form of that joke is. And we'll... That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good roster. Um, I'm excited for this camp and to learn more about what the future of these players are. Uh, St. Saint Louis, U.S. men's soccer has uh, dampened my enthusiasm a, li- a little bit. Yeah, but like Greg Berhalter decision, but I'm yeah, still fair. hopeful. When I look at the like the U23 group, like the group of players coming up that like I don't remember any group of players that has had this this much talent like across the pool. Like there are players mm-hmm. not getting called into this roster that are very good soccer players. And I don't necessarily like I remember a lot more projects of players in past like U23 rosters. So seeing like I guess the next step is to where like you're you know, if you look at England's U23 roster, it's all guys starting for big teams. So, you know, the next step would be to get to the point where your young players are starting crucial minutes in big moments more frequently. But this is a good start where a lot of these players are still up and coming and are already getting big minutes for big teams. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing more from this group. And obviously, everyone's looking forward to the World Cup in a couple of years. Uh, that'll be, I think, a watershed moment for American soccer. So I'm just uh, like, bring it on. Here's my fear is that we go and we just suck at Copa America just for whatever reason. But there's like some circumstance behind it. Maybe Pulisic is injured or something or there's a catastrophe and the plane sets on fire and they can't send the team or something. But I worry that any result is going to be fine. Like, I worry that U.S. soccer is going to look at the Copa America results and be okay with whatever happens. And I think they need to be more 
there needs to be more urgency there and that if it's a bad result at Copa America, you can't go into the final two and a half, whatever years of the cycle, like doing the same thing you've been doing for the past six years at this point. And I don't know if there's that much urgency with a guy that like, it seems like they're just always, always the plan to hire for the second. Yeah. And I, I don't feel good about that <laughs> at all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't feel good about uh, the whole Burhalter situation in any respect. But so. this team, Stephen, should have you excited because it's like the the most talent I've ever seen on U.S. roster, and it's being helmed by someone who just sucks, vacuums all the excitement out of the fan base. That's true. <laughs> Let's not hold the sins of Greg Burhalter against perfectly good young players. Let's not. Greg know? Burhalter, massive fan of City Park, by the way. So, well, tie it back in. We'll tie that back into our podcast. That's that's a professional moment there, Stephen. Yeah, very well done. I'm very impressed. <laughs> um, do we want to talk about a, a topsy-turvy upside-down Premier League where currently Tottenham and Arsenal sit in first and second place? Yeah. And City has slid all the way to third with two consecutive losses. Before we move completely on, and that's a good, that's a good uh, foreshadowing for the next segment Stephen. but do we want to talk a little bit about dc united firing william rooney because you oh sure about that well i just asked you if you <laughs> thought we needed to talk about it now i feel like i'm on the spot but sure let's talk about uh the most notorious wayne to ever coach so a um mos team i would say uh you know that leaving that team tell me about it yeah, so here's essentially, so DC United eliminated from the playoffs, but that's not what's caused this. It's kind of just like the season's over now, so this is what's happening. So Wayne Rooney had another year option that was his option to you know, decide if he wanted to walk away, if he wanted to resign. And they, DC hasn't had a general manager this season to like have that conversation with him. And the fact that like there's a article in the Daily Mail every month about how Kelly and didn't come with Wayne, I think is probably has something to do with it, I would think. But uh, also not having a GM to actively open those conversations with you is also not good for DC in general. But he's not the only coach. Uh, Adrian Heath got fired this week too from Minnesota. Long time. Uh, Only Minnesota coach, I think, of their MLS years. So the chopping block is on. And Wayne Rooney is going back to England, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, uh, who knows? I don't I think bad for DC United. I've, uh, yeah, I'd like them to be better. I don't know if I can like really judge Wayne Rooney's managing because like his two stints were when he was at Derby County as like a player manager, and then here at DC where like he, I don't know, got some people to come in. Didn't have much that he could do because he didn't have a general manager for half the time he was there. So, like, I don't know how much you can really judge. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's a bad organization right now, so you can't really hold it against Wayne Rooney, can you? I mean, I would never hold you know. anything against Wayne Rooney. Yeah, I, I would never, <laughs> except for possibly, um, you know, a lot of things he did for Manchester United in, back in the day, because those were upsetting yeah. me. But in any case, um, anything else you want to say about MOS or American soccer or any of that no nope nope i just wanted to 
crawl back that segment from you, Stephen. And I wanted to take all the air out of the podcast. So I hope I've done that. Did I do a good oh, job? Oh, you've done a beautiful okay. job of that. And uh, <laughs> something that's not beautiful, of course, is looking at the top of the rear leg table. Hey, oh, we back. Tottenham and Arsenal <laughs> at the top. London is calling and I would rather not answer. That's what I have to say about this. I don't want Manchester City to repeat as champions, but I don't know that I want Tottenham or Arsenal to be champions any more than that. And Liverpool, obviously, with the game being rigged against them repeatedly with the officials... Steven, causing them to lose match no i'm not gonna go and i'm not gonna do it I'm does it make it fine. i'm not gonna get fined it's fine it's great it's fine it's wonderful does it make it realistic. easier to stomach when they come out and say and admit that they made the wrong call but that there's nothing they can do about it now does that make it better it, it doesn't feels, seem like it makes it better it feels <laughs> like there is something that they can do about it you know it really feels like you could just be like oh you had another goal in that game so mm. you actually drew it and didn't yeah. lose it does feel like it feels like that's a pretty easy solution, actually. <laughs> you know, uh, did you especially, did especially you if you to figure the that out in the game? Yeah. Did you listen to the audio of that call? I didn't because I would have pulled my hair out and screamed. It's very frustrating. Um, this is one where Ange Pasacaglio, the Tottenham Hotspurs head coach, as everyone knows, head manager, I should say. I what was his quote? And you find his quote is basically like, I wouldn't have done it like that <laughs> uh, because they don't say like good goal. Essentially. They say like correct call, which then leaves it up to like making sure that you're actually talking about the right thing. Yeah. Hence that he thought he was looking for a good goal and he was looking for a not good goal. And, and thus Stevens. I just, I mean, I don't want to be the guy that's like Liverpool's are rigged, but it really seems like a preposterous numbers of just wrong, just wrong, bad decisions go against them, you know? Mm. And even it's already third this season, third time this season, third or fourth one in eight games that have had a huge impact on the game. The, the Van Dyke red card, I don't even really argue with that, but you obviously can't say that didn't have a huge impact on the game and on a couple of games thereafter. Um, they had the other red card that was enforced in the game, or was that Van Dyke that was enforced, but then he didn't get the two game or yes. the three game suspension on top of it because they decided it wasn't quite legit. And then uh, even today there was the Sabatsly scoring attempt that they didn't call a scoring attempt. So it wasn't a penalty. But it should have been obviously like you know, like it's just it's just one or one or two is a coincidence, three or four is a pattern, and five or six is a conspiracy, and we're just in think, conspiracy territory. Yeah, I just think it's like bad. Well, it's kind of worldwide that you're refereeing right now is like just a fucking disaster. But it's also I think this propensity to of like merely referees to not want to make themselves look bad. So I think you have some of that too, where there's like boys club and they cover for each other. And, and that's what, I mean, didn't, wasn't there an incident real recently where like, literally it may have been one of these Liverpool ones where like literally a ref said, well, my friend was refing that game and I didn't want to tell him. I forget what, I forget what game it was. It was a Mike Dean game. Mike Dean this off season, like said that he made calls 
go against VAR or like he wouldn't tell someone to go to VAR because he he was their friend and he didn't want to like upset them. They got the call wrong. They needed the confidence, which I think is also very dumb. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's listen. It's like, um, what was I trying to say? Oh, it's like they installed VAR to like cover these guys' asses. Mm. And then the game changes and they call things looser because they have VAR, which is fine. Like, I'd rather they do that. I'd rather you let the game play out and then make the call on VAR if that's how you're going to do it. But then they don't do it. Like, then they, it's like they forgot the last step of actually trying to make VAR mm. good and really get the calls right. Yeah. You know, and that's the part where it's like, okay, then what has this all been about? If I can't scuba, what's this all been about? All been what about? is this all for? I think know? my issue with VAR too, and some of this is just influenced by what's happening in MLS this year, but the fact that like these minuscule like blades of grass calls will be made of where things are offside or not. And then you have just completely blatant missed calls are like, misinterpretation of the rules happening as well which makes it for okay you want this thing to be precise measurement but then you're missing like whole fledged handballs in the box that you aren't like that you're looking at not seeing so yeah like it just just makes it seem not worth it then and i also just like i again not to harp on the tottenham call too much but it's like it's this concept of there's like a statute of limitations on getting Mm -hmm. the calls right and I understand that it wouldn't necessarily be fair to Tottenham like three game three days after the game's over to be like, oh, actually, it was a draw because Liverpool did score this goal. Like mm. I get that I get in the one sense that the whole, the the whole game flow changes and like that kind of yeah. thing. But also they just actually scored a goal hundred percent. That, that, that you just whistled off. off. Yeah, that you just did not call. It was and, a goal that was scored at the front of play. That should have been a goal. Yeah. And like, and at the end of the season, two points between Liverpool and Ars- and um, Tottenham could be the difference between, I mean, I don't think it actually will be the difference between a champion and not, no offense to Tottenham, but it could be certainly be the difference between a champion's oh. league spot or not, you know, or, or just, you know, the difference between a placement. I mean, he's great. It's, he's obviously transformed the team. I'm not even trying to crap on him. I just don't know if they have the the personnel to you're just not a believer in rich arlson i guess yeah that's right exactly (laughs) well no one that comes from everton can actually make that big Mm. an impact you know it's it's fair fair. that's a fair argument wouldn't you say um but no i mean it it's just i didn't mean to really get off on this no it makes it very awkward though when it's like halftime and all they're talking about at halftime is this goal that wasn't like called essentially and like yeah okay so now that's just hanging over the match for the rest of the time. Yeah. And to me, it's like, it, I know, and this is true in every sport now, there's so much review and replay and everything. You know, they talk about it all the time in baseball with like robot umps and number of challenges and mm. plays that are or aren't reviewable in football and that kind of thing. But like, it, it was an inarguably fairer system when it was just, there's the referees on the field and they catch what they can catch with their eyes and what they miss, they miss. And mm-hmm. that's just the end of the discussion. I mean, like genuinely like that, that is at least fair because everybody is subject to the same 
limitations of those human beings, you know, like that, or I don't know if fair is even the right word, but like, like above reproach or like, you know, integrity or something like, I think that's just how how it was. Now they've got VAR and it's like, you would think that they get more calls right, but it seems like they get just as much stuff wrong in different weird ways because of the way the VAR rules are set up. So, yeah, I think I would like almost, almost want just no VAR, all VAR. Like you got to go all or nothing. You got to have everything be automated or not to be automated. I definitely think like VAR should automatically review every significant play. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be any of this, like calling the referee over to take a look at it. Like you can do that once you've determined something that seems suspect, but like don't have the, the subject subjectivity yeah. of VAR. Like, well, and like, it's easy to sit here and, you know, chastise the refs. It's a hard job. I understand that, but to leave things up to a ref's discretion when there's so much going on in a game and like a lot of times you aren't in the best place to view it. I think that's like, that's part of the issue too, is that sometimes yeah. they're just not being sent to the monitor. Yeah. And in the Mike Dean situation, like having one fallible referee be the VAR guy is like, yeah. like not that big an improvement. <laughs> like that's what should be automated. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but anyway, what are your actual thoughts on Tottenham and, and, uh arsenal being at the top arsenal with a huge win over man city today i have more faith in arsenal than i do tottenham and i think some of that's probably because arsenal were basically there last year and this feels like a little bit more of that year that liverpool were like right there and then would go and win it like it feels like they took that step last year and this could be the year that they go and go all the way but again like you said it's man city's title to lose and uh, I don't have faith in anyone else except Brighton. <laughs> we all love Brighton. <laughs> I can't even hate Brighton after today. Um, yeah, I mean, I still think it's Man City's title to lose, and I don't think they will lose it. But um, I definitely think Liverpool is is significantly better than they were last year. Arsenal is a threat. Um because they were just this good last year. So, you know, they fell <laughs> off at the end of the season, but they are clearly yeah. just a, a and that's the, team now. That's the next step for them, right? Is that, like, how can they, how are they going to manage these weeks of Champions League games and really games, and then also holding on at the end of the year and not let that, like, take it out of you? Yeah. And Tottenham, I think the question is, do they have the dogs at the moment, the horses, if you will, to actually go a full season? I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced they got that dog in them. Yeah. I, I don't know if they do. And to be fair, they have a lot of money to spend to potentially add the horses. Um, but, you know, that's going to take time. And and I don't know how long they'll be able to keep up this level of play this season. Doesn't mean they can't be top four, or, you know, have a very strong campaign. Yeah. But yeah, I think those are different conversations, though. Like, yeah, we... oh, for sure. If Manchester United can be the conversation at top four, anyone can be the conversation at top four, Stephen. For sure. And I mean, I think I think Man City at this point is like that kind of Muhammad Ali level. Like, you know, they're the champ, even if they're not holding the belt, you know, like how yeah. long can and you like, hold them off? I think there's this 
idea that they've had kind of a topsy-turvy start, but they're still only two points off of Tottenham. So it's like, even even yeah. at their worst, they're still like right there. Right there. Look behind yeah. you, they're always over your shoulder. Kevin De Bruyne, That's right. always just looking. Kind of the tribal chief of the Premier League, if mm. you will. Um, anything else you'd like to say about the Premier League? Which makes or Arsenal... English soccer? Arsenal would be the JUSO in that situation. Fine. Reading this no, right. Because I like JUSO. So is that... <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say that. Oh, man. Arsenal's kind of like the Drew McIntyre, you know? Wow. Like, Brings a sword for moment. some reason. No, you know what? That's perfect. <laughs> they had their moment. They biffed it. And now they, you know, are kind of undergoing a heel turn. Because... They're trying to like kill people with a sword that they bring to ringside. That's, right. that's allowed for some fucking Which reason. Is, okay, <laughs> because he never swings it at anyone except somebody. But he, he does, does Stephen. He does yeah, swing it at sometimes people. Sometimes he absolutely <laughs> swings it at people. That is that attempted time... murder. Go to jail, Drew. Thank you. That one time he cut the rope in half, which wasn't believable at all. You know, like those things. Well, if the wrestler, I forget who he did it against. What if he didn't move? He would have sliced him in half. That's right. Could have been dead. On on live television. That's right. Impaled Solo Sokoa, you know? Then he would have been duo Sokoa because there would have been two of them because he would have been, you know, Mortal Kombat style cut in half, you know? Right. Because he was probably, and then it makes two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do think it's hilarious how in Mortal Kombat people just cut like butter you know just like one sword slash just straight through everything well you gotta yeah. weaken them first you gotta weaken them once well, once true. a person is weakened to that state you can do whatever you want to them well that's pull true. their right. head off their body if you want right with your bare hands which right. people do <laughs> and if someone's frozen in ice and you punch them they just shatter into a million a, pieces folks of course. what a world what a world we live in exactly uh justin we've talked a lot of soccer already is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we No, start? i think this has been a good catch up and i'm excited hopefully we have a lot of playoffs to talk through and we it isn't that they get knocked out in the first round and we don't podcast for a while again yeah that's what i hope we should we should get back together in a couple weeks after that seattle game talk about that talk about the playoff picture once it's finalized and go from there yeah or maybe even before the seattle game who's who's maybe. to say it's who's but no later than after the seattle game we're we're locking it in folks we have to we have to create a schedule because justin's a very busy and important person and you know i'm really just sitting around but you know (laughs) i'm waiting for the call i'm always here um all right folks i always just got the zoom window up waiting for me to yeah i'm literally on zoom 24 7 just wondering who's gonna wander in you're like folks if you just think about this you're listening to this podcast steven's just sitting there looking at his computer monitor looking at that empty zoom window that's just his face staring back at him and that's his life so that's right do with that information what you want so send your thoughts and prayers we love you um all right, Justin, thanks for doing this. A lot of fun. Thanks Steven, thank for you. listening. Thank us both. And no thanks to Ian, who's about to have a child of his own and um, wasn't able to join us tonight because he's fighting typhus. He has a case of typhus. And I hope he gets better. I hope he gets better. Yeah, that'd be awkward to die of typhoid fever right <laughs> before your child arrives into the world, especially when your child is born in 2023 and you it's die. It's a tragic upbringing. Disease. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. My <laughs> father was the first person to die of typhus in 75 years in the United States. So, I'm ashamed of our family. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, Ian, 
you know, live strong, buddy. We're, we're all cheering for you. And uh, to everybody else, have a wonderful, wonderful night. Adios. Street.